In the book of Matthew, we read of how Jesus is tempted in the wilderness after fasting for 40 days, and how the devil says, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And how the Lord responds, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In Genesis chapter 3, we hear how the serpent, understood in Second Temple Judaism to be the same character as the devil, the Satan, beginning his conversation with Eve with the words in the King James Version, Yea, hath God really said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And of course, in the ESV or NIV of memory serves me, words along the lines of, Did God really say? I find there to be a consistent message in the text of Scripture that is relevant to our own wrestling with the powers of darkness. Let no one fool you into thinking that we live in an age where we no longer need to confront the identity of the devil. From the recent depiction of devils on the Grammys, as of the year of our Lord, 2023, to shows like Lucifer, the character of the fallen angel is not only wildly being addressed by the so-called secular world, but is also a real spiritual reality, which those in deliverance ministries, both Protestant, Catholic, and I'll include the Orthodox here, all are encountering on an increasing basis. It is a realm of theology that is serious. And yet, what's interesting is the way the devil is often depicted, particularly in Hollywood, he is seen as primarily interested in either performing lewd acts of desecration or in getting a character to make a horrible pact or deal from which they are trying to run helplessly away from, or trying to seduce someone into a sin against the Sixth or Ninth Commandments. But in Scripture, which needs to be the ground of our faith, we see the first attack that the devil ever carries out on humanity against Adam and against Eve can be summarized by the very words on the page, Did God really say... And we see in the life of Jesus, the true Adam, God incarnate, as Romans 5 makes it very clear, the the one who truly fulfills and undoes the sin of Adam. Just as Irenaeus calls Mary, by the way, the new Eve. We see in Jesus' statement, it is written, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, Man does not live by bread alone. We see that the antidote to the delusion and wiles of the devil is reliance and trust in the authority of the Word of God. I don't want anyone to be deceived. What is very clear is that before anyone can fully and totally be consumed by an ideology. 
Name any ism that has possessed the minds of people. One would first have to be plucked out of the soil, the rich roots of God's lens, God's perspective of things, God's logos, God's rema, God's word. And therefore, there must first be a disorientation of the human soul away from the solid rock and the rich soil of God's scripture. And the way this happens is by the question in Genesis 3. Did God really say? Now, I'm not suggesting here that it is wrong to ask questions. Notice in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John the Baptist, even in prison, suffering terribly awaiting execution, sends messengers to Jesus, are you the one or do we wait for another? And we notice that Jesus never condemns John for asking that. In fact, later on he says, among those born of women, none has arisen greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What is amazing is that Jesus understands that under duress, under difficult times, it is natural for us to question. It's perhaps even natural for us in some sense to have an experience of doubt. John the Baptist certainly had something of a questioning spirit vexing him when he was in that prison. And any one of us would be. So I'm not referring to, you know, having legitimate inquiries and going through seasons where it is hard to see the plan and wrestling sincerely. In fact, God desires sincerity as we find in the book of Job than the pietistic rambles of his friends who try to console him. God understands our frustration. God preferred the honest, sincere frustration of Job rather than the religious platitudes of those who used Scripture to condemn Job. And as a warning to the Pharisaism that is alive in any one of us at any given time. Just because someone seems be undergoing what appears to be terrible trials, we must never, never, never assume that that is some kind of judgment. In the words of Jesus concerning the blind man in John 8, which ring very true to me being blind, when uh, the disciples ask, who sinned, he or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus' response was and is for all time, it was neither because he sinned or because his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him, or that the works of God might be revealed in him. At the same time, the kind of questioning I'm referring to in Genesis chapter 3 that is sown into Eve's heart by the wiles of the devil, did God really say? is the kind of acceptance of a critical attitude that leads one down the line of forgetting the identity of God, forgetting that God is love, and then forgetting one's own identity along the way. The thought that maybe God is keeping something from you, hiding it from you. You see, the 
great lie that Satan foisted in front of Eve and Adam by extension was that they could be like gods. But here Adam and Eve were living immortal lives, walking with God as we read in Genesis 3, in the cool of the day, having intimate union with God in paradise. Well, if that isn't being like the Lord, I don't know what is. Intimate union and communion. But ultimately, whereas that reality was a thy will be done reality, Satan was offering for suspicion that God was keeping something away from even Adam in light of the lechem, the fruit that was forbidden to them. But also to then leading to the instilling of pride after anxiety, that if only they made a my will be done decision, could they ultimately transgress the bounds of good and evil. And in some sense become the judge of what was good and the judge of what was evil. This fundamentally meant essentially playing God. A shortcut, seemingly in the, in the warped mind of one who is deluded, that is seemingly reasonable. And this is what I think is behind, at least in the mind of, uh, I believe, Dr. Peter Kraft, if memory serves me, behind the idea of Jesus' temptation when he sees all the kingdoms of the earth in a flash, a twinkle of an eye, and the enemy says, all of these have been handed over to me, and I can give them to whomever I wish. All shall be yours if you will but bow down and worship me. I believe I'm quoting the Lucan version there from memory. If we read the text as if Satan is aware of something like an atonement that is to happen, I'm aware that Paul says, had the enemies known, they would never crucify the Lord of glory. There is strong debate as to how to, um, how to marry these texts and, and know how much the enemy knew and how much the enemy didn't know. Um, personally, I think it's an unfathomable and inscrutable question. You have to pick which church father you like the most. Um, what is clear is, if you take that text to mean that Satan is aware that Jesus must undergo something horrible up ahead, which will lead to the redemption of souls, maybe not knowing the exact details, what is very clear is that he's saying, listen, there's a shortcut away from whatever suffering you're going to face. If you will only bow down, in essence, you can have all these souls. I will empty hell out right now. They will all be yours. No big deal. Just the truth can be untruth for a moment. And then everyone gets to go upstairs. That's Dr. Peter Crave's interpretation, if memory serves me. And if I'm misquoting him from memory, uh, I completely accept that. Please put that in the comment section. But what I think is vastly interesting is the psychological reading that is then possible. And that is the enemy always leading us to question and then fall into anxiety about the identity of God, about our own identity. 
and then leading us to try to shun the cross. Surely this will not happen to you, Lord. And Jesus rebukes Peter, not rebuking Peter himself, but the spirit behind him in that passage in Matthew 16. Get behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things of God, but the things of men. Or you're not thinking as God thinks, but as man does. It's a more literal translation. This idea, ultimately, that there is a temptation away from taking up the cross, taking up the narrow road, taking up the harder way, taking up the, the path of self-sacrificial love, taking the shortcut, being lulled into the lullaby of complacency. Like I said, as to how much or how little Satan knows, this is a deeply thorny topic among theologians, so I'm not suggesting I know what the extent of that was. But what's clear is, at least in our lives, at least in our personal experience, in our own day-to-day -day lives, we certainly are being tempted away from the cross and away from the word and away from thy will be done. This leads to the ultimate takeaway, which is the reality that we are living in a time where we often treat our spiritual battles as if they were merely distractions into falling away from a kind of religious experience, or instead falling into uh, fighting the wrong political party or the wrong political body of people. When in reality, we are continually being tempted every single day to forget, to have amnesia concerning who and what we are. This is why Jesus says in the Last Supper, do this in remembrance of me. And if I might be so bold to quote the Lion King, uh, remember who you are. Let us remember our identity in Scripture. Let us remember the identity of God, that he is love. Let us remember that the way to the Lord is always through the window of the cross, which will mean suffering, but is, it is redemptive suffering. It is redemptive light. And let us remember that we do not walk alone. Our God is a God who knows what it is to be tried and always accept without sin. And in this, we are confronted in Scripture with the idea of the wilderness as not only a very helpful psychological blueprint, and not merely as an ancient work of history, but as a real spiritual map by which to navigate the most challenging aspects of our lives. 